syndicate. Hey everyone and welcome back to the Boston Sports Syndicate Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travers. Thank you for joining us. Up until recently, it's been a very quiet offseason for the Red Sox, and fans were starting to get very restless, including a couple of usually very positive and level-headed contributors to this podcast. But all that changed in the last week or so when the Red Sox made a couple of, I'll call them unspectacular but solid moves to improve the team. And, of course, there's everything else going on right now in baseball with trades, free agent signings, Hall of Fame, non-inductions, So we have a lot to talk about it, so I want to jump right into it. Joining me, as always, uh, the Syndicate's great bloggino, Chris Henrik. How's it going? I'm good, guys. How are you doing tonight? Just splendid. Just bracing for the cold that's coming. Uh, And Mr. Sox Positive himself, Matt DeRosha, a.k.a. Matty Kiwum. How's it going, Matt? Everything's going pretty good, but it's been... Some time since we talked, so, you know, I'm very excited to get this thing going. And before we kick off, by the time you listen to this, it's probably going to be my daughter's first birthday, so I just want to give a quick birthday shout-out to Vera Julia. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And uh, today is also my son's birthday. It's it's definitely not his first, but happy birthday, Michael, CEO yeah, and happy founder birthday, of Mike. Boston Sports Syndicate. Did you guys see that super sweet birthday card I made him on Twitter? Oh, yes. I'm sure he appreciated that very, very much. Especially coming off of last night's tirade. He must have have been so thrilled to see his boys welcome welcome him with a nice happy birthday this morning. Yeah, I can't say he was wrong on uh, on his take, though. But we'll save that for the uh, Above the Parquet podcast because that was a Celtics bit. This might have been the first time we talked – basketball on baseball we usually talk baseball on basketball right that's the way it usually goes 2021 man what a weird year already yeah stranger things have not happened so guys i know you've both been chomping at the bit to talk red sox so so let's get right right into it uh the red sox uh like i said up until last week had made some boring moves i want to say uh some unspectacular moves probably the biggest one up until recently was the signing of uh Outfielder Hunter Renfro uh, to be probably a platoon player in left field at best. Um, some other depth signing pieces here and there, free agent, um, minor league free agent contracts, but but really nothing big. And and I know Red Sox fandom was getting extremely impatient, especially as other players around the league were, other teams around the league were signing other free agents uh, or or making trades to bring in players. So. Uh, but all that changed last week um, when, in a span of probably about three or four days, the Red Sox signed Kike Hernandez, signed him away from the Dodgers. Um, they also, well, they re-signed Martin Perez in what was a good deal, I thought. Um, they also signed free agent pitcher Garrett Richards, and they made a trade with the Yankees, of all people, for a back-end closer which is something that they desperately needed in uh, Adam Ottavino. So, guys, what was your take on uh, things with the Red Sox before that flurry and then after those moves were made? You know, I was – my frustrations, uh, and, and I let them be known on, on the Twitter sphere, uh, 
were really that they were kind of losing out on guys that they were interested in. And, you know, as a diehard Red Sox fan and as Mr. Positivity, I always want them to win. So I will, I can admit now it was probably more, you know, I was frustrating more or, 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 or you call it else butthurt maybe that they kept losing out on guys that I thought uh, would help them win this year. And, and I've said that many times already, too, on Twitter and on this podcast, how I believe the Red Sox are contenders this year if they, you know, do some things and, and build off the core that they have. So uh, I think that they've gone ahead and done that over the last 10, 11 days or so. Um, so overall, you know, I, I, I'm not mad about the moves that have been made at all. Uh, like you said, not really spectacular, nothing super sexy, but solid moves, responsible moves. And I think guys who can help them win and guys with a pretty good ceiling. Matt, I think the key word that you used was interest. Because that's all we kept hearing was Red Sox are interested in this guy. Red Sox are interested in that guy. And then all of a sudden, we're finding out he's signing with somebody else. So I think that's what led to a lot of the frustrations is it seemed like they kept dipping their toes in the water, but they were afraid to jump into the pool. Yeah, and, and some of the pushback that I've seen you know, in the baseball world is you know, just because someone's interested doesn't mean they're necessarily you know, going to try to go the distance. But – I, I kind of disagreed with that. I think when you get a report from one of the major national guys, um, it's it's being leaked on purpose from one end. So I think if you know you're being labeled as the runner-up or you're labeled as you know a Final Four or finalist for a free agent, I think you're pretty pretty far deep in negotiations or at least in 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 engaging with that free agent. So you know, as frustrated as it was clearly seem like they have a plan and i'm sure we're going to dive more into that shortly yeah and the guy who was uh, the biggest defender of bloom's plan was chris i know he got into some very spirited debates on the twitter sphere Uh, so chris here's here's your chance to uh plug bloom's plan what were were your thoughts while all this was going on and and you saw players just dropping off the board left and right and the red sox uh, being a bridesmaid bridesmaid and never a bride you know, I, I can understand a lot of people's frustration, you know, especially because, you know, when you're a fan and you want to see your team get better, especially ha- after having such a bad year that the Red Sox had, everybody is an armchair general manager and every single player can project to make your team better. In this case here, the Red Sox, there are so many holes that they need to fill that I'm going to be open-minded to what Heimblum is doing. I'm going to be open-minded to it because he's in his second offseason. And I think this is an offseason that we can go back and judge him on versus really what he did in his first year. At the end of the day, there are just still so many holes that he needed to fill coming into this offseason that I was going to be open-minded to these moves. There really wasn't an impact-free agent that would immediately come into this team and make them better with the exception of Trevor Bauer, who wasn't going to come here because you're not in a position to go out and get Trevor Bauer to put you over the top. JT Romuto didn't make any sense. You have Christian Vasquez. You can make an argument for George Springer because of his bat and you need another outfielder, but with his age, having to give up a a draft choice, it just didn't make sense. DJ LeMahieu was an interesting um potential to come to Boston and I think he would have been a great addition to the lineup but really at the end of the day these smaller moves that the Red Sox have made 
I think what's going under the radar is the fact that the majority of these players are one-year deals with options, and those options give Heimblum options himself. If this team isn't any good, he can trade an Adovino for prospects. He could trade a Kiki Hernandez who's not blocking Jeter Downs for prospects. Hunter Renfro. I mean, I believe that there's there's more upside to these moves that he's made while they're not flashy. Um, I just think everybody's got to calm down and, and kind of wait and see what these players turn into. Yeah, I mean, LeMahieu, although he might have been like a, a good short-term fit, the rumor going around was he was more interested in the longer six-year deal and that $90 million kind of was his uh, his end goal. And so if that was the case, he didn't care about the AAV. And, you know, it's clear that the Red Sox were not going to overextend themselves if, in terms that, of bringing someone the, in. And if the Red Sox go out and sign – DJ LeMahieu to a six-year deal, people are going to lose their mind over that. I completely agree. I completely agree. Regardless of the of the annual average, I mean, it makes no sense to to go six years. No. Just look at again. Look at the blueprint that I that Heimblum has been doing with these players. One year plus an option. Kiki was a different conversation. That's a two-year deal. Right. Well, those. I mean, and I'm glad you brought that up because it was actually in my show notes. Ew. The year this is the year of the option. Bloom didn't sign anyone without an option, other than Kike Hernandez, like you said, that was a, a natural two-year deal. But Garrett Richards has a one-year team option. Uh, Martin Perez can sign for an option, and this these options are at they would come as to they they would become steals for the Red Sox if Garrett Richards goes out and performs in the way that would make the Red Sox want to keep him. Ten million will be worth it. Same thing for Perez. So. Like you said, Chris, if they're doing well and they want to, you know, keep this thing going, they can keep it going. If they want to flip someone at the deadline, they can flip them at the deadline because now the team getting a Gat Richards at the deadline, they can either have him as a rental or if they think their window is two years, they may, you know, pony up a better prospect. So there, there are layers to these deals and Bloom was always an analytical and a very careful, careful guy and his, these moves are showing it and. I just released that article grading him. So if you read that, you know that I think all of the deals he made are favorable to the Red Sox. I do. I disagree with with you grading Martin Perez as a C minus as an overall player. I, I agreed with the other grades that you put in that article, but I think him as a player and, and saying that he's a C minus is really selling him short. You know, he was he was probably the only guarantee to take the ball every fifth last season with the Sox. He was their only reliable arm. And coming into this season, based off of the track record with the guys that they have coming back, he's your only current guarantee where he does not make a regular stop on the IL. So I think you're selling I think you're selling Perez short overall as a player, but I did agree with the rest of the, the grades from Martin. I hey, Chris, I wanted to get that off my chest. I was gonna text hey, that to you, but I figured we were recording tonight. Hey, I think Chris, I think that fit better into Matt's category of fit. His fit was a much higher grade because of his reliability on this staff. Right, Matt? That is correct. But, Chris, you, you know how I know you're my boy? I yeah. wanted to rank him a little bit higher, but I want I needed to drag these averages down. I couldn't have I couldn't have them all flying colors. So I thought, you know, like you said, Bill, <laughs> that definitely went into my calculations was the player has, you know, because if I made him a B player, a B minus player, even like a C plus player, the, the reaction I would have seen is – this guy has a career ERA, almost in the fives, yada, yada, yada. 
but for all the reasons uh, that you just stated, he, he he's a great fit here, and that's what gave him the elevated grade uh, for fit. And you know, obviously, the deal is great too. And he and and I think another factor is he wants to be here. That you know, one of the narratives that I've been listening to over the course of the pretty much since he since he re-signed back here in Boston is, well, why not just pick up his option in the first place? Well, you saved a few bucks on it, number one. And number two, you told him to go test the market, find yourself a better deal. Clearly, he didn't. He wants to be here. He signed for less money to come back. He's got an option if they want to pick that up, if he has a decent year. I, you know, I don't see the – I think I think Martin Perez is, is a true under-the-radar pickup again for this team because he doesn't have to come here to be anything more than a number four or number five starter. And I, I think a lot of fans, I think a lot of – uh, people who blog or even podcast the you know in regards to the socks they we were holding these players in such high regard as if as if you need like the Red Sox are the one and almighty and that if you're not the greatest player you know that you, they're going to receive the most the highest form of skepticism like if Perez just comes in here and he just performs as a four or five starter similar to last year are we really complaining as long no, as, not at all. As long as he can be the number four or five starter. Last year, he ended up being the number two or the number one at times when Evaldi was out. So right. he's and that, you know, horribly miscast in that role. I agree, and that, but that's not his fault. It's not no. his fault that the Red Sox didn't go out and get quality depth. The Red Sox got depth. We we commented on that that even last year when when they went and and signed these players, and we talked about. I think, you know, even you, know, you made the comment a few times about just adding the depth to the upper levels of the minor league system. I think this time around, Bloom is doing a better job doing that. I, you know, he just he added a lot of castaways that just weren't good fits. But, you know, looking at what this team has done in the short term with Perez, Andres and Richards. He's he's going to he's going to throw a, a, a rotation that is dramatically better than what he started with last season. And again, a big if a huge if if these guys are healthy on whether or not, you know, they're, they're only going to go as far as those, those arms are going to take them. So if these guys are healthy, man, you know, the Red Sox, the Red Sox got some steals here. But that's a big if, especially in Richard's case. He hasn't pitched over 100 innings since 2015 or 16, something like that. He's, in fact, last year was some of his higher innings, even though it was a shortened season. So, you know, there mm-hmm. there is that bit of a risk there. The year before, Bloom brought all these guys in, and really none of them stuck other than Perez slightly, and he was some of the, the bigger deal that he had made in the offseason. But some of those other guys that he brought in, some of them just, you know, they were just cannon fodder, batting practice pitchers um, mm-hmm. night after night. So let, let's go through some of these guys now. So what what's the uh, scouting report that you guys have on Garrett Richards? Let's start with him. So, Garrett Richards. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I'll, I'll, I mean, I, what I was going to basically start with, Matt, is, you know, to to what you just said. The guy hasn't pitched, what, 150 innings since, what, 2014, 2015? His best year was 2014. He made 26 starts. He actually finished the season 13-4, and 4, 261 ERA, but he tore a tendon in his left knee, missed the rest of the season. Comes back 2015. That happened at Fenway, too. I, You know, and then coming back 2015, he ended up suffering a high-grade UCL tear in his pitching elbow. 
decided he wasn't going to do Tommy John. He did an experimental stem cell therapy procedure to try to see if he could avoid Tommy John. It didn't work. He's had bicep strains, hamstring strains. He suffered more damage in that, in that pitching elbow, had to have Tommy John. The key, though, to him is that he's been healthy, and he's healthy right now. Two years with the Padres. He had an okay season last year in 2020, but I mean, really, who, unless you were like an elite player, what player didn't have, you know, somewhat of a rough season last year? He's got good stuff. And, and providing that this guy, you know, didn't lose that 2014 season and it started to go downhill, he kind of looked like he was going to be the ace of the Angels. They finally found something. But again, that's like six, seven years ago. So it's good stuff, really good spin on a lot of his pitches. And if you look at really what, a lot of these guys have in common is that spin rate and that slider, that curveball. The majority of these these dudes that Heimblum is picking up have a lot of those same similarities. I think if you know an easy comparison, maybe even a lazy one, would be Nathan Eovaldi, somebody who's battled injury, uh, but but when he came to the Red Sox, was kind of in that 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 perfect that perfect time frame where you bounce back from a severe uh, elbow injury. And like Chris said, uh, he was hurt for an extended period of time because he tried to avoid Tommy John. Whereas if he just got Tommy John initially, he would have missed that season or, or, you know, that kind of two, two seasons where you kind of bounce back and and he would have been, he he probably would have got a little bit more out of that first initial contract. Um, the Padres went out and signed him so that he could rehab under their organization, and then they used him last year. And I think the biggest thing in terms of Garrett Richards and, and him coming to the Red Sox was his fastball velocity last season. He was in the 82nd percentile, according to Baseball Savant, and that his fastball averaged about 95 miles per hour out of the start. And, and that's one of the tops in terms of starting pitching. So it, like Chris said, he seems healthy. His ceiling is so high, and I think that was kind of baked in to that $10 million. Because I'm not going to lie, when he signed for one year, $10 million, I was a little shocked at the AAV. I, I personally thought he'd get a little bit less. Not that nothing too, too crazy, but a, a little bit less than that $10 mil. So I think they betting, they're betting on the upside, and they're betting on all he needs to give them in terms of the, the sustainability in the long term is a half a season because at that point they can die they can really look at, you know, is this gonna get is this guy gonna be around for for twenty twenty two? Is he helping us win now or do we flip him? So, you know, I think this guy's upside is is it's pretty high and and I think um he's gonna he's gonna remind people a lot of Nathan Valdi when he came over and and you know a hard throwing right hander with, with great spin on his curveball and slider like Chris said. Well, let's hope if he's a comp for Evaldi that you know, when it comes to injuries that they can kind of sync up so that one is injured while the other one's healthy and then vice versa. So, that, you know, maybe they can like – where do you see Richard slotting? Third third starter? Fourth starter? He's going to probably slot in, in that three, I think. Well, no, maybe yeah, four. Think, they may throw the bone to Martin Perez. I think three is, is a pretty good start. To be honest with you, I think three is a good comparison. That's assuming Sale uh, and Erod at one A one B. Well, that that combo we're not going to really see that until the summer. So in, in, in well Erod we should see. 
Yeah, we should I, I take Erod right away. I think Erod, yeah, no, I think Erod is someone that we should expect to. We should 100% expect to see him. But have, have either one um, of you heard any reports on him since the myocarditis? I'd heard that like towards the end of the season he was just starting to walk on a treadmill. Have you heard anything since? No, nothing that's really caught steam. Nothing that's, you know, kind of caught online. I, so that's a I little concerning. Seen... I mean, we're like five, six weeks away from the start of spring training, and and we're not hearing a word about him. I, that that gives me a little pause for concern. But you're also you're not really hearing much about any like any baseball player throughout the whole league. Like I, like unless they're posting on their Instagram that they're working out, there's not much going on in terms of reporting on the health and, and who's going to be ready for spring training, other than kind of just the rumblings of who's coming back and whatnot. So uh, I don't know if it's time to concern, but as the time ticks on, like you, like you said, Bill, it, it, we're going to get closer to spring training, and if he doesn't come back or you don't see him reporting spring training healthy and throwing with the guys, the red flag could start coming up real quick. I, I did see a report just today that Chris Sale had suffered a setback, uh, but it was related to a sore neck or a stiff neck, something like that. It, it wasn't an arm problem. But just reading the headline, Chris Sale suffers setback. It was like, here we go again. Oh, yeah. They try to get you, those damn clickbaits. <laughs> and they always do. Me too. I always get I, – uh, you know, I, I if I've had to really train myself because at, for, for a while there I would get sucked in. But uh, I'm pretty skeptical now with headlines because of my past – problems come on if it's on the internet it's got to be true that's like a rule isn't it <laughs> i mean why would it be there if it's not right all the news that's fit to make up maybe that could be our syndicate <laughs> website maybe we can make that our motto anyway um all right so that, that's a good breakdown of richards why don't we move on to andres how do we see him do we see him more as bullpen uh or a potential starter you know who i, I see him as and we're going to have to go back like a few years for me to get this comp. But I think he could be like Justin Masterson. He's that guy that would be, like you just said, swing man. He can start if you need him. He can pitch out of the pen. He's, you know, Sox didn't sign him to be part of the everyday one through five starting rotation. They signed him for that depth to spot start, but swing man. That's, that, that's the role that he's been the most comfortable in. Um, <clears throat> It's it's pretty much really the the main role that he's had. I mean, he did that with the Rays, you know. And there's been some criticism because with him, because if you think about with the Tampa Bay Rays, that program just just pounds out pitchers. I mean, and quality pitchers. But it feels like that Andres or Andresi doesn't really kind of you know fit a lot of that mold and kind of you know got kicked around and he went to the Diamondbacks and um, but. You know, I, I look at him as just it's a solid upgrade to the bullpen. Not going to be anything, you know, over the top, but it, he's a better, better option for a swing man than what the Sox had last season. So could he be that guy that comes in after the opener to go two, three, four innings? Well, I hope they're not using the opener. Oh, they, based off of the rotation right now, they don't really need to. But if they had to because of injury. Yeah, he's the guy that comes in in the third, fourth inning and will give you three or four, I think, solid innings. Or, or he's going to be that inning eater. Um, you know, like I said, I, I kind of look at him as, like I said, Justin Masterson before, you know, the Sox traded him and he went to Cleveland, where Masterson was like, was that true like swing man in the in the in the bullpen? And I I I, I always feel like if a team has a really good swing man, 
you know, you have a pretty deep rotation and bullpen. Red Sox don't necessarily have that right now, but I think that he's a really good start for this team who badly needs, you know, just better quality arms. And I think he kind of slots well in that category. Yeah, I think Matt Justin Masterson, what a good what a good comp. Red Sox fans, you know, you know, you remember Masterson. He was he was a good he was a good pitcher and he was pretty dynamic for them. Uh, I actually the comp that I had for Matt Andrews was actually I envisioned him and and his signing to to be what they wanted Colin McHugh to be. Um, he's gonna fill whatever they need. He's not gonna necessarily be you know they're they're a starter, but he'll come in relief. And I also think he is the perfect type of pitcher to have when you have a a rotation that has Nathan Eovaldi and a Garrett Richards, you know, there'll be nights where Garrett Richards and Nathan Eovaldi are super effective, but they'll be a little bit off. They'll be a little bit wild and their pitch count will rise early. Andres is the perfect guy to bring in and kind of patchwork, uh, you know, those, those starter innings to get to the bullpen. Um, and then if you needed a spot start, he's that guy, uh, He's not necessarily going to be a workhorse. He hasn't thrown 100 innings since 2016. So, um, you know, Red Sox fans, you're not going to be getting some potential ace. But I will say, uh, as a fantasy baseball player, Matt Andrees is on a team every season for a certain stretch of time. So he can get hot and he can be very effective. And it's probably due to that really good curveball. You know, he has a lot of spin on his fastball and curveball. And, you it know, that's that definitely some yeah, spin. Yeah. Oh, that's and, that's and a commonality in high blue. As we talk more about these pitchers, if you go if you go to Statcast and you, and you start plugging in these pitchers, they all have they all have the same similar comps. I, I think okay, Perez yeah, Perez was the first guy that they really were pumping his spin rate, if I recall, when they when they signed yeah, him on last his, year. Yeah, his cutter it was one of those pitches that was deemed special, but wasn't being thrown enough, I guess, in their eyes. So that and his, they uh, find these dudes and they go for it. That and his percentage of hard hit balls. I mean, the, the stats that they have today are just absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. But I'm old school, so that's a, no, that's a rant I could go on for hours in terms of the, the seesaw and the roller coaster ride I've been on when it comes to analytics in sports, especially baseball. So I'm just while you guys were talking, and very good conversation, I must say, some great comps on those pitchers. So. That that helps somebody like me who isn't that familiar with Andres. So that that those were really good comps. So I'm just I'm just jotting down some names for the for the Red Sox starting rotation next year. So I've got Sale at the top of the list, but we know we're not going to see him probably until sometime around the All Star break. But then I've got Erod Avaldi. Let's not forget Nate Pavetta. We've got Richards and we've got Tanner Houck, who came up at the end of last year and made a big splash going three and zero. So I mean that's. You know, it's it's not uh, it's not Schilling and uh, and Pedro, and th- and that you know 2014 for starters. But I mean, assuming they stay healthy, that's a fairly solid starting five, six. Yeah, and th- and they'll have more depth pieces. I mean, Brian Mata, he's in that part of his career where he's got to be ready to contribute at the big league club. You have Connor Seabold, the guy, the other guy that they got from the, the Philadelphia Phillies. He's at that age where he's got to get ready to uh, compete and, and help out this big league roster this year. So, you know, with COVID and the uncertainty and all that's going to happen this season, it's he made a point to get deeper, and, and they have gotten deeper. Like Chris said earlier in the podcast, what they had going into last season is 
far worse. It is, I mean, it was deserted in comparison to what they what they have now. And a lot of fans still think they don't have enough. So you know, I think he's done some good moves, and and you know, Pavetta and those guys are all going to have to produce for this team to be good. Well, I think we all had we, our hopes you know, up for like signing a Trevor Bauer or Corey Kluber. I think was the the big one that we were all hoping would come. I mean. He, he lives in the Boston area. Of course, he's going to sign with the Red Sox, and then he signs with the Yankees. So, you know that that popped our balloon pretty fast when that happened. The Kluber stuff was wild to me because the narrative, for whatever reason, was being spun that he was the Sox uh, uh, signing to lose. But after he signed with the Yankees, and you find found out he was training with a Yankees employee, and he's had like this real building relationship with the Yankees pitching coach. He was always going to New York. He was always going to go to New York. It seems like they had they had the inside scoop on Corey Kluber. And to be honest, uh, the if you if you're saying they reached their pinnacle in 2021, like they can get everything out of their ability that they can, Garrett Richards could be just as good as Corey Kluber if they're both clicking. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Pump the pump the brakes there a little bit, Matt. Corey Kluber's not going back to Cy Young Kluber. The no, reports, he's not. He's not going anywhere near that. He's not. And Garrett Richards. Throws harder, has just good stuff. He's not as good pitcher. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if if he can stay healthy, he can put together a season that's very comparable to Corey Kluber. Kluber hasn't been healthy in two years also. Kluber's stuff has diminished. And even in his workout, he wasn't even – he was barely touching 90. So, yes, is he a good pitcher? Yes, he was a former Cy Young. He knows yeah. how to get it done. But stuff for stuff, Gat Richards, if healthy, can have the same – can have as good a stuff as Corey Kluber. And the contracts spell out what the Red Sox think about the two. All right, well, so Kluber is is not at the point of his career where he's going to be throwing 95. That's not his game. Kluber is relies on that off speed. He relies on he's got a nasty slider. He's relying on those pitches to set up that fastball to make that fastball look and feel more than 90 miles an hour. So all things being equal, if you said to me, you get your pick, money being equal take away all these circumstances, Kluber or Garrett Richards, I'm going to take Corey Kluber. Garrett Richards has thrown 150 innings since 2015. Kluber has missed the last two years, give or take, because of some injuries. So, you know, short term, Corey Kluber is a great fit for New York. You know, I wish I would have just taken that step back and kind of looked at it a little bit differently with Corey Kluber because the, the signs were just quietly there. There was – Two connections that he had. One was Eric Cressy, who is his performance trainer. He has a facility in Massachusetts. Kluber lives in Massachusetts. Kluber, for his rehab, he didn't want to do it in Massachusetts. He wanted to do it in Florida. They both went down there together. By the way, Cressy is the director of strength and conditioning or something to that effect for the New York Yankees. So Edge, New York. And then and then the Yankees – also had the other advantage is their pitching coach. So having having Blake, Matt Blake, who local ties, he went to um, Holy Cross. He pitched there for like four years. So ties with New England. It just sucks that he ended up, you know, he's with the Yankees and he stole Kluber away. But Blake had a relationship with with Kluber when they had when they spent time in Cleveland together. Blake has been credited with working with pitchers all over the league. As a matter of fact, Trevor Bauer has credited Blake for um, spin rate and, and, a, and a bunch of other things um, in regards to 
in regards to his ability with pitchers and helping them kind of come back from some stuff. So um, Blake was secretly and quietly one of the main reasons that Kluber went there. So um, I just wish that those, that those signs would have been there a little bit, a little bit earlier out in the process for Red Sox fans to see. I think people just gravitated towards, well, his wife's from Massachusetts, lives in Massachusetts, 17 minute commute from Fenway park. He's going to go to Boston, which is never, ever, ever a reason to think a guy's going to go to the team that you want him to go to. All right. Do we have anybody else's spin rate to talk about? I'm dubbing this the spin rate podcast. Cause we've said it. I don't think we got like any other spin rates. Now. No, no, I don't think we got any. I think there's only one of the guy that we, you know, might've missed and that's Garrett Whitlock, the rule five pick that they got from New York. You know, he's, he's got, he's got to be on the, on the major league roster this season. Uh, he has an opportunity and a potential where he could pitch out of the rotation or be another one of those swing men out of the bullpen. So again, another guy coming off of uh, Tommy John, but he's, he, he fits that mold of what the Red Sox are looking for. So handful of New York Yankees in uh, for pinstripes to the, to Red Sox here this year. So, but what's the spin? Rate? Anyone could be redeemed. You know, I don't. They caught better when he went to the Red Sox. I can tell you that. I don't have a spin rate in front of me, but I, I'm willing to bet it's probably within the same ballpark and the same comps as the guys. So sp- I'm glad you actually brought him up, Chris, because I think it, it, you know to, to to dub him anything in terms of what he'll provide to this team would be a bit unfounded. It would be a little bit tougher tough to do because no one really knows what Garrett Whitlock is going to be for the Boston Red Sox. But I would like to refer to Bloom's track record in the Rule 5 draft and how he's utilized it in comparison to other teams. Uh, He's been one of the most active in the Rule 5 draft and in the Rule 5 AAA draft. I don't know if it's a different rule, but he he, he grabbed two guys again this year. And Luis Ayarus, I always say his name wrong. Ayarus. The, the, infielder the infielder that they had yeah. last year was a Jonathan pretty good ball Arouse. player. Jonathan Iarus, yes. He, he was better than I thought he was going to be. So if they, he's putting in the resources in this Rule 5 draft and he selected somebody with such an early selection that they had, you know, clearly they saw something in him. And, and I think maybe he could provide something for this team and be either a piggyback starter or a long reliever. Well, Richards is going to have to uh, – Richards, he's reading his uh... – Bring something on him. Uh, Whitlock's gonna have to stay on this on the team for the full year because of the Rule Five pick. He was picked in the major league portion of that draft. The other players the Red Sox selected in the Rule Five draft in the minor league portion, once they're selected, the Red Sox own them. So, um, so in this case here, Whitlock he's gonna have to remain on the on the team for the full year, or the Sox gonna have to offer him back to New York for like half the money it was like I think fifty grand or something like that. So, um. <laughs> which I would highly – I would doubt that the Yankees wouldn't want to bring him back. It was a guy that they were on the fence about putting – not putting him on the 40-man anyway. So. Or they could find some phantom injury for him and put him on the injured list. They could. I, or, I mean, I'm sure they could work out of, you know, one of those player-to-be-named later cash-type deals. You know what I mean? Throw the Yankees 50K or 75K, and all of a sudden now he's yours. Yeah. Good segue. Speaking of the player-to-be-named later and, and deals with the Yankees – I think the biggest deal that I probably caught all of us by surprise because I didn't hear any rumors on it before it happened was the Red Sox picking up Adam Odovino, a reliever from the Yankees, for uh, basically either a player to be named later or cash. It was essentially a salary dump for the Yankees. And in the, proce- uh, in the process, also picked up uh, a pitching prospect from the Yankees in the deal as well. 
Uh, were you guys surprised by that deal? Did, did you hear any rumblings on it before it happened? No, I didn't hear anything. And, and I had, I, I tried to scour Twitter and, and websites and beat writers to, to see rumblings. and I mean, to hear rumblings and try to get a, an idea of what's potentially out there. And I did not hear anything about Adam Adovino. And I didn't even hear anything about the Yankees necessarily uh, shredding contracts or trying to get rid of some some, some of that money to stay under the luxury tax. Uh, so it kind of came out of left field. At least out of the left field bullpen. Left field, yeah, of course. Obviously, the bullpen. Adam Adovino's in the bullpen. So he's good observation. So he is, uh, I would say, he is a front runner, probably to be your closer now, over Matt Barnes, or at least the two. I'm sure he'll get a shot at, it and the two will compete for the job. He's never closed. Uh, he's never been a closer throughout his career, so I don't know if they'll do that. I think he's their most talented reliever, so I'd naturally just give him the ninth inning. Uh, but I could see him, you know, providing maybe an inning in the third, any two thirds, two innings at the seventh and eighth that leads to a Matt Barnes, or maybe somebody that they bring in uh, before spring training. I actually like Barnes in that role better, the seventh and eighth inning guy. I think he performs better. Just personally, I think he performs better in that role than he does as he a does. closer. He definitely does, and I, like I, I agree with you. I think you know the the best formula currently, you know, that they at their disposal would be Barnes leading into Adam Adovino and not vice versa. Either way, it gives them some instant depth at that back end of the bullpen, which is something else that they so sorely needed. And now you can slot a guy like Bra- uh, Brazier down. You can slot a guy like Darwin's and Hernandez further down. That that just mm-hmm. you know, and especially now with starters barely going five innings, never mind six or seven. Uh, that just makes you that much better. Yeah. I, one concern that I had with Heimblum, you know, as a team builder was I was just, I was curious if he had that, that, that go-getter, that aggressive, that win now mentality. It seemed like he was all about sustainability. But if you remember last year's draft, the way he attacked that draft, Showed a little bit of big dogness. He had a little bit of bite to his game because he got the guy he wanted in Blaze Jordan, and it came with getting an under-the-radar prospect uh, who's been hitting so far in, in terms of their 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 I don't know what was it called their instructs their little in, the instructs league they were able to set up uh, in the fall. So that showed a little bit of that 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 dog that that kind of you know killer instinct that I love team builders to have, uh, and then it kind of. Felt like is he just putting his toes in the water? Is he is he gun shy? Why isn't he getting the guys that he's interested in? These type of things. But after he made this trade with the Yankees, I think he's ready to go. This is the type of move that gets me going. You get your best reliever and a pitching prospect for nothing. That is a win move. That's a big dog move. That's a move telling. That, that's a move that tells guys like JD Martinez and guys like Raphael Devers that you got to get ready, boys. We're gonna try to win right now. That's a move that tells everyone throughout the entire system that this isn't about 2022 and 2023. This is about right here, right now. We're gonna go ahead and get you a closer, the best reliever they've had on this team in two years. And on top of that, we're gonna get you a prospect who you know 
He's a long shot. I'm not sitting here saying they got some stud pitcher. He was the number 24-ranked prospect in the Yankee system. He's actually currently slotted at 27, according to MLB.com, for the Red Sox. But he throws hard, and he could be another arm that's that's usable this year. MLB.com has him his ETA as 2021. So when Blue made this move, boy, oh boy, did I love it. And I thought you were going to talk about the quote that he made when they asked him about trading with the Yankees, and I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now as we speak, or as I speak, uh, but it, it was basically, you know, uh, how do you feel about making a trade with the Yankees or something like that, if the trade should fall apart, and he said, we can't we can't work scared, was the word he used, was right. scared, yep. and I'm, I'm still trying to yep. find that quote. You guys talk quietly amongst yourselves while, I, while I'm finding this quote. Yeah, I, I mean... Go ahead, Chris. I've talked too much gonna lately. Say, I, I was just going to say, this is a bold move. You know, I, I don't put it in the perspective of, oh, it's a bold move because he traded with New York. I'm whatever, big deal. Um, I say it's a bold move because he went out and he got a guy who has an – like Adam, Adam Adovino has an elite arm. Like this is a legitimate piece to your bullpen. This is a legitimate piece to say I – expect this Red Sox team to contend in the American League East this year because you're not going out and getting and, and eating contracts of Adam Adovino for you know eight million dollars if you don't intend to be competitive or think that your team can be competitive. So this is a great move. It gives them tremendous depth in the back half of the bullpen because let's face it, Matt Barnes is that cardiac closer. You know, I, I I don't want to see him in that closer role. I think Bill hit it right on the head. That seventh, eighth inning role is perfect for Matt Barnes. I still think the Red Sox go and potentially add another player to the back end of that bullpen. Um, who that is, who knows? You know, is, is Brandon Workman a potential to come back? You know, if we're going to go down memory lane type of thing. But I think it's it's a good move, and on top of it, and I just think the most underplayed piece of this is that he said that the Red Sox are in a position to go ahead and basically buy a contract to get a young player. And you got a young player, a young pitcher, to go within your system to continue to add more controllable depth in the system. Like, this is th- these are really good moves. They are under-the-radar moves that for some reason there is a portion of Red Sox fans that just refuse to want to see it. Oh, the haters club. You're referring to the haters club. I'm referring to the casual pink hats. I'm the, referring the, to the, the people. Gatorade, the haterators. No, I'm referring to the people who said that, you know, we're a pink hat Red Sox podcast. Like, who no, said that? go bang your ankles. Who said, who yeah, who said, who said that? pink hat Red Sox podcast? Go ahead. Go ahead. To Say the, it to uh, my face. Go ahead into the, the Twitter handle and go ahead back a couple days ago and you'll see that. Um, I won't call out the I won't call the dude out on uh, on the podcast, but, you know, no, the the, our that... fans in Wichita, Kansas need to hear <laughs> this guy's name. All right. Hey, I <laughs> found the quote. Was... Can I give you guys the quote now? Yeah. All right. So he said, I know it's the Yankees and I understand what that means. It's the most storied rivalry in sports, and it's part of what makes this organization so great, getting to lock horns with those guys on a regular basis. But if we're not willing to do something that helps us because it also helps them, or worse, 
that it might go as we expect and blows up in our faces and we look bad, then we're just playing scared and we're not going to play scared. I thought Love that it. was a great quote. In, 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 in layman's terms, scared money don't make money. But this isn't a Red Sox pink hat podcast, so I'm going to question this move because my initial thought when I heard that they, they got out of Vino from the Yankees is, what does that say about either what the Yankees think of Ottavino or what the Yankees think about the Red Sox? Are they thinking Ottavino is no good, so they're just looking to dump him and get some sucker to, to pay his salary? Or are they saying, yeah, we can trade him to the Red Sox. It, it ain't going to help them that much that they're going to be a threat to us. Do you think it could be either one of those angles? See, I think I don't think it really says as much about the current state of the Red Sox as much as it says about the importance of getting underneath the luxury tax. Adam Ottavino has – I mean last year was a red flag because of his ERA. But if you look at it, if you dive into the numbers, he only threw 18 innings. And in one start – I mean not one start. In one appearance, he gave up six earned runs in Buffalo, New York to the, the Blue Jays. If you take that game out – he has a 2.98 ERA. His strikeout rate, his stri- his K's per K's, his K per walk ratio is as good as it's been in his career. He's ready. I mean, if he was on the Yankees, he would be a consensus bounce back candidate throughout the baseball community. I don't see many red flags in his game. I just think it should. And, and, and another thing, his contract's not even bad. It's one year at nine million, and with, with the kicker, it comes down to eight point one five on the market right now. He would get a one year eight point one five contract. So, you know, I, I I don't know. It was it. I think it just really screams to to the rest of baseball how important these these big big time clubs uh, want to get underneath the luxury tax. But to trade within your own division, you don't think they could have found somebody outside of their division that they could have traded with? To dump the salary? Uh, my guess, uh, if I had to just kind of read the tea leaves and, and put together a narrative that I, I know really know nothing solid about, is the Red Sox were the only ones that posted this idea. That the Yankees weren't necessarily seeking to shed salary. Just Bloom presented them with an offer they couldn't refuse. Uh, because then they were able to go out and get a Darren O'Day, who might be pretty good for them. Uh, at a fraction of the price, and they can bring back a Brett Gardner. They can do whatever they want to do. Um, I don't know if Adam Vonavino was shopped because I think that report may have gotten out there uh, had he been on the market. I think Bloom and his guys, you know, this is something that, you know, they've kind of been looking into. Last year, if you remember, before the shutdown, uh, they were trying to do this with the Padres. So this is definitely an avenue that Bloom and his guys want to exploit. And I, I think that they were the ones who initiated the talks with the Yankees and got a deal done quickly. Chris, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see it as any sort of disrespect to Boston. Um, I think it's a move that, I think honestly, just helps both sides. New York has been, has been trying to get and and wants to stay under the competitive balance tax threshold, you know, and. Currently, the way that the you know CBA is kind of is kind of written, you know, you can stay under, you can reset that luxury tax. I mean, everything could change, you know, once it's renegotiated in the future. But you know, New York is trying to stay under. Right now, New York 
active payroll is $184 million. And if you add in the retained salary, they're, they're at 189. So, and that's after that move, it gives them some flexibility to make a move or two. You know, you mentioned Brett Gardner. He, he's very much probably still in play to go back there or New York can go in as is and be under this, this threshold and, you know, have room in the season to go ahead and make a trade. But, if, you know, I think one thing that, you know, I want to just kind of throw out there is money got the Red Sox in the situation that they're in. It's how they spent their money in the past. New York's the same exact way. I don't think they could get anybody to just, even if they gave it away, Giancarlo Stanton's contract, $29 million a season. And he's locked in that for the handful more, you know. And then on top of that, Garrett Cole, $36 million. He's eventually going to be that Giancarlo Stanton contract. Then after that, you know, it's 15, 15, 13, 11 with how their, their payroll is kind of is slotted. So What's, what's Judge's know, contract situation? Because he's got to be due for a heavy he, payday. He's uh, 10.175 this year. Is he year. still on arbitration deals? Or, or does he have a, Yeah, he's arbitration too. Yeah. Yep. So he's, he's due for a hefty pay raise. So, yeah, I, exactly. And, you know, New York has, have what, $57 million, almost $60 million, actually over that, I apologize, over $60 million between Cole and Stanton alone. Just because you're the New York Yankees and you have all the money in the world doesn't mean that you can spend all the money in the world. There's rules within, the, within baseball that you have to follow in order so that way you're not spending more money in attacks, lose draft picks, lose international money. When the you know the Red Sox did what they did, they had extra money and the ability to go out and get that 16-year-old that they signed this this well that was finally announced in January. So, unfortunately, money isn't always the cure to everything. Sometimes it's the route to uh, more problems. So, I, I look at this as this this is a deal that helped both sides out. Red Sox get like I said, I think they got an elite arm for the back end of the of their rotation. The Yankees got some flexibility. They added some other pieces. I think it's a win-win for both sides. I don't I don't look at it as, you know, Cashman got one over on Bloom or even the other way around. All right. Fair enough. See, I look I, I look at it that Bloom got one over on Cashman because in, in in anything that you're competing in, if you can get something for nothing, you've won. How can you not win? If you if I can get something and not have to give up anything, I win. Well I don't, I don't care what it does. I always ascribe to the fact I, that if I, a deal is too good, that there's probably something wrong with it. You know how they say if a deal's too good, it's probably not true. It's it's too good yeah. to be true, yeah. I just don't want to put Bloom in that Danny Ainge category because when you say that bad, I automatically think that that's like a Danny. Ainge oh no, thing. I don't think of it that way. I just think any times like you know, I'm going to use this example and it's just personally you know something that resonates with me and anyone who plays in dynasty fantasy sports. If you can trade a future first-round pick for a player, you're getting someone that could contribute to your roster now, and you're giving up a coupon for next year that doesn't mean anything for until you know it, it comes up in a year. And those type of moves is what I think what helps you win now. And you know, he he traded to backtrack to 2020. He made that trade, get you know trading away Mookie Betts for this very reason. He wanted roster flexibility to make moves and. I think when you make a move like this, you're telling everyone on your active roster to get ready to win. 
And I think those moves, you know, it's you you can't measure it. It's not in analytics. It's it's magic in terms of anyone who's just oh, an analytics guy. It's it's wonky. It's you. It, it's tan. It's not tangible. But when you can tell your whole roster to get ready to win, the rally behind that is it, it's 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 immense. And and I just like I said, I love it. And I as we talk about it now, I love it even more. So Matt, you mentioned that you think they're competitive or maybe chris you mentioned it that you think they'll be competitive in the al east and i want to get to that but before we do i want to jump into a couple quickly talk about a couple of the other signings um hunter renfro bringing him in uh where do you see him do you see him mainly as a platoon guy in the outfield and you know does it tie into whether or not ben attendee eventually gets traded or not i think bringing a guy like hunter renfro it's it's not flashy like you said earlier it's not really spectacular but you bring him in at three million. He's still arbitration eligible for 2022 and 2023. So a one-year signing can turn into a three-year signing. And this guy plays above-average defense, and he's a power guy. He's not going to bring much in, in terms of average or overall, you know, good approaches at the plate. But at Fenway, you have a short left field. This is the guy you can bring in off the bench to to mash a homer, or he can fill in on a day off, or platoon against lefties um the, his, his what he can bring to this team is, is it's you know it, it there's a lot of different factors you know he could play left he could play right i think i think he can handle right field in fenway which is not easy so i don't know exactly what that means in terms of ben attendee and i think we'll dive more into that soon but you know bringing a guy like renfro it seems just like a like like chris has said multiple times it's a good under the radar solid win move you talk about him being a power power righty. You know, I just love when you look at the spray charts and you look at all the balls that would have been in the, and they superimpose it on Fenway and you see all the mm-hmm. balls that would have been hit for home runs. It's like but that trick never works. We always see that every time they acquire a guy like that. But the pitchers are smart enough to pitch around that. So I you know, I don't know. I don't get too much uh, hopes up for guys like that because I, I just don't see pitchers grooving balls that they can pull over the wall. No, well, it's tough because, you know, we're baseball fans and we remember baseball how it was. But how it is is so much power baseball, so much grip it and rip it from both sides, whether you're on the mound or in the batter's box, where Renfro is a guy that, you know, I don't know how many – how many times late in a ball game someone's going to try to finesse him? They're going to try to overpower him, and this dude brings power. Not to mention he does look exactly like Mike Trout, so maybe he can, like, harness some of his powers. So here's how I looked at Hunter Renfro. Um, so you're getting a power bat. You're getting a guy that can play, theoretically can play all three outfield positions. Probably fits a lot better in left field at Fenway Park than he does, obviously, in center on right field. So is he going to be the Red Sox version of Max Muncy, Kyle Schwarber? Because those are kind of the comps that he that he has over the around the same average plate appearances all three are going to strike out a ton but the homer percentage is really high so i think that there's there's some upside with hunter renfro his average his average has been something that's been well documented and talked about um from people who cover the team and even just people casually wanting to talk about the red sox and saying like hey we just signed a guy as a career 230 hitter with that being said he's either going to live up to those expectations that we saw on that spray chart, 
or he's going to be their version of Rob Deere. <laughs> like Rob Deere. Remember, like Bill, remember Rob Deere? Oh, yeah. When he was on the yep. Red Sox. He was like, he literally made like striking out cool a hundred and like 50 times in a season before it was actually a thing that people talked about. So hopefully the Red Sox have found something in Hunter Renfro. They see something in him that they can, that they can kind of tap into. And he can be again, that under the radar move. What's good about this deal for me though, is power potential, the Fenway park power potential. He's controllable for the next couple of seasons. So if this season again, doesn't work out according to plan, you can spin Hunter Renfro. Think about the trade that the Rays and the Padres made at the beginning of last offseason. It was Renfro and Crowenworth went to San Diego. I'm sorry, went to Tampa Bay. San Diego got Tommy Fan. Let's try this again, Chris. It was Renfro and Xavier Edwards. Basically, what I'm trying to say is that Crowenworth went to San Diego. There was other prospects that were in that deal that worked up for both sides. Maybe Hein Bloom can work out one of those deals where you trade a legitimate outfielder with control and get prospects back, similar to Jake Cronworth. Easy for me to say. Yeah, and, and, and I'm going to throw this comparison out there also for uh, Hunter Renfro, and try not to think of it in terms of the off-the-field, the energy, the spark plug, but just of how he can be used and how he can be uh, effective and produce for this Red Sox team if they're going to be good. Like a Johnny Gomes, somebody who can he can bash home runs from the right side of the plate. He he he's not going to give you MVP year long performance, but in a given streak he can get hot and he can hit a lot of home runs and he could be very productive if uh, you know he catches fire at the right times for this Red Sox team. Obviously, there's a lot of what ifs with a with a Hunter Renfro, but that's fine. That's baked into his three million dollars salary. That's fine. So you know who you just who I just thought of when you made that description that he can get really hot and carry you for short periods of time, Jackie Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not one of your favorites, Chris. I love the guy, but you know, yeah. for three million, I, I'd bring him back in a heartbeat. But I'll actually I'll give you my opinion on JBJ really quick. Just I wanna. I want to just get that trade that I couldn't get out of my mouth about five minutes ago. So the Rays traded Tommy Pham and Jake Cronenworth to the Padres, and the Rays got back Hunter Renfro, Xavier Edwards, and a player to be named later. That's the kind of move that I think Hein Bloom could go ahead and make with Renfro again if this team isn't competitive. Again, Bloom wasn't there when they made that move. But I also look at this move that they made, that they could do that with Benintendi as well. If they feel that they're going to trade Benintendi, this Hunter Renfro, Tommy Pham kind of like comp, I see in like a Benintendi potential move. That's what I was trying to say, but for some reason I couldn't get my brain and my mouth to work at the same time. All right, let's talk about the other uh, big free agent signing that they, they had in the past week, and that's Kike Hernandez, stealing him from the Dodgers. Uh the best comp I heard for him is he's an athletic Brock Holt, and he also brings that same type of energy to the clubhouse. So uh, supposedly Boston fans are just going to love this guy, and I know how much you guys loved Brock Holt. Hashtag sarcasm. So w- what's your take on Kike? Where do we see him slotting in? Do you think he's the everyday second baseman, or do you see him in the super sub role? Okay, he before we dive into Kike, hey, wait, before we dive into Kike, I have to make one announcement. 
now that Kike Hernandez is on this team, I am no longer the Brock Holt of the Boston Sports Syndicate. I am the Kike Hernandez of the Boston oh, Sports Syndicate. Get, you Proceed. finally get your nickname back. Bada bang, bada boom. We're here in the room. Matty D, Matty Kiwum is now the Kike Hernandez of the Boston Sports Syndicate, and I love it. I fully now expect... He's a handsome guy, so I will take that comp as well. <laughs> I fully now expect you are to grow up the Kike Hernandez mustache and have that as your t- a Twitter avatar. James, I'm going to need you to do that Photoshop because your boy doesn't look good without a beard. But bring All right, Kike- so when, when <laughs> we see him slotting... <laughs> what? What, what, sure I, this is going. what I find funny about Kike Hernandez uh, was that cl- it's it's clear as day that the Red Sox had a deal in mind and they were going after a bunch of uh, similar skilled players with that offer. And that offer is what Kike Hernandez got two years at $14 million. They were finalists for Hashon Kim, which I would have loved if they would have signed. But obviously, I, they were not going to go for four years Uh Again, I, I don't know anything, but I would assume that they offered three because he's only 25. And two years for a guy coming over from Korea doesn't jive well. And the fact that they were finalists makes me think that they were uh, extending themselves to three. Uh, Jerkson Provar went three for seven uh, a year, three for 21 in total. So for whatever reason, the magic number for these type of players is $7 million. And the Red Sox were willing to go two years, and they tried it with uh, Kim didn't work they tried it with jerks and profar didn't work so then they went to kike hernandez and it worked and i think overall um this is a great guy to bring in he will be the everyday second baseman in my opinion uh he's earned that right i think uh he's been the rover for the for the rangers uh the rangers the rover for the dodgers over the last few seasons so uh and he's produced enough to i think warrant an everyday role and i think again he's a guy who's swing Bill, you're 100% right. This hardly ever translates. But if you try to be positive, uh, you know, they're hoping that it works well in Fenway and in places like Yankee Stadium and Rogers Center, too. So not just Boston, but the, the teams that will play uh, most most often. And what I love about bringing the guy like Kike is he's a winner. He's gone to how many World Series? He just won it last year. He was an integral part of them winning. And I think, again, this is a guy you bring in, and it tells dudes like J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts to get ready to win. Like, And I just love that about that about Kike Hernandez. And uh, the cherry on top for me is if Jeter Downs proves himself ready at some point in 2021 and they want to bring him up, Kike Hernandez could be your everyday left fielder here, and it would be no issue at all. Or – you're a super utility guy, and at $7 million, that's completely within market. Uh, so I, I love the signing. I wish they would have got Kim because you guys know that was my boy. I brought him up before anyone else. That makes me a Hashion Kim hipster, and I will wear that with pride. Uh, but, you know, Kike Hernandez was a good signing, and I'm happy about it. Chris? So <clears throat> I – I, uh, surprise, surprise – I love this move. I love it for a handful of reasons from Boston. One, Kiki Hernandez, high energy. He's high motor. He's going to fit in this clubhouse. He's going to be, I think, a player that Red Sox fans are going to quickly, quickly enjoy. And I, I guess use the term kind of fall in love with, I guess, so to speak, like they did with Brock Holt. You reunite him, number one, with Alex Verdugo. Those two were teammates together. In the, with the with the Dodgers a few years back, 
So you have that intangible. The next thing is, is that you have your second baseman coming into this season. By the way, he can also play shortstop and give Xander Bogart some time off. He can play third. He can play first. He can play all over the outfield. So he gives the Red Sox that finan- uh, financial. They, it gives the Red Sox that uh, position versatility that is very similar to what the Rays, and by the way, what um, what a bunch of other teams of baseball are doing right now. Um, what I also like about it, too, is it gives them an opportunity to still see what they have with Christian Arroyo, who Bloom and his front office are still high on. So they still want to see what they have in him, but they protect themselves by getting an established major league player and Kiki Hernandez doesn't block Jeter Downs. So I think it's a win-win. It's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. Seven mil a year. Um, it's the going rate. So the Red Sox really didn't overpay. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I mean, I like the move. I, I don't see any downside with this. And it was a player that they were linked to that made sense. And they ended up getting him. Does this spell the end of Michael Chavis's run with the Red Sox? God, I hope so. Yeah, I don't know if this guy is long for this team. I mean, I I thought that they would have used him earlier in the offseason to bring in, um, you know, a speculative bullpen arm or something of that nature. But if Christian Arroyo is going to be, you know, the guy that Bloom looks at to fill in at second or fill in when needed at third or, or wherever, uh, and he – the guy looked pretty good last year. I, I know it was a you know a small sample size, but Arroyo looked pretty good, and I think if you can get anything for a Michael Chavis, you do that. You go ahead and you explore trading him now because I also think he's pretty much replacement level in terms of bringing somebody else in to fill that roster spot if you need it later down the road. All right, I want to talk about the Red Sox' competitive uh, chances in the AL East. Um, they finished last last year one game behind the Orioles in the AL East this offseason the Yankees have gotten better the Blue Jays have gotten a lot better and the Rays arguably have gotten worse because they traded away Blake Snell to the Padres so do you see the Red Sox contending for the AL East title or do you think they can sneak into one of those wild card spots and do you think they can sneak ahead of the Rays and the Blue Jays? Chris, do you want me to take this first, or do you want to go first? Because you know I'm coming with a hot take here. So I think the Yankees are the team to beat in the American League East until any one of the other teams in this in this division right now can show that they can oust them uh, coming into this year. The Rays, I'm going to say they don't have the pitching, but I mean – Hell, every single year, they seem to just – they randomly just find these guys that seem to come up. But they're also down two starters from that World Series team. They're down Blake Snell. They traded. They're also out Charlie Morton, who they let go. So I would anticipate the Rays taking a step back. So Toronto has made – I mean, Jesus, like what haven't the Blue Jays done? I mean, they added Marcus Simeon. They've added George Springer. They've added to the bullpen. Uh, you know, honestly, the Blue Jays, they're going to be a scary team. But the thing is, is do they have enough pitching? And, and, and I feel like that that's going to be the common theme 
with any of these teams in the American League is do they have enough pitching? So I don't want to go and anoint the Blue Jays as the division winners just yet. I think that right now they are a dark horse in the American League. I think is everything being equal, it's New York, Toronto. You can just flip-flop either to uh, Tampa Bay or Boston, and I just think that the Orioles haven't done enough and I, you know, an over 162 game season, I don't, I don't see the Orioles being that competitive. All right, Matt, hit us with that hot take. All right, so where we agree completely that the Baltimore Orioles are still the basement dwellers of not only the American League East, but probably of the American League. Um, but after that, I think the Rays, I think you see a humongous, humongous fallback this year, trading away Blake Snell and losing Charlie Morton is humongous in terms of their pitching rotation to give Glasnow the reins to be the ace. Theoretically, sure, if this was a video game where you could turn injuries off, he would be fantastic. But that's not the case in the real world. So to rely on him to be your ace is, I think, is super problematic. Their offense is, I mean, you can platoon every position if you want, but they're not, they're, in my opinion, they're amongst the bottom in terms of, the American League East. Now, yes, they'll have Wander Franco, and he will come up, and they have prospects, so you could easily see some dynamic and, and really good hitters uh, come up in their system, but that takes time. Um, now, I think, personally, the Blue Jays are overrated. I think they're very green. I think they have tons of young guys on their roster who we don't know what they're going to be. Yes, could they be the best team in baseball? Their Their offense could be absolutely disgusting it, it it could be but i think there's a ton of what ifs and i think on paper if i were to bet i think the red sox have a way better lineup in terms of uh, uh what in comparison to to the blue jays yes they've made moves and they've bolstered up their team and, and they're definitely gearing up for a run at not only the al east but you know playoff deep playoff runs but i think they're overrated i think the red sox are right there i think their pitching staff could be just as good as the blue jays and I think that the Boston Red Sox offense could be the best offense in the American League. I think on paper, you have to put them up against all the best offenses in baseball. Yes, I would give the Yankees the nod in terms of the best team in the ALEs. I'm not going to sit here and say that the Red Sox are better going into the 2021 season. But I do think that the Red Sox can be as good a team as any other team in baseball uh, in the American League. I think the Dodgers are light years, light years ahead of pretty much the rest of the competition you're welcome, Bessie. That is that must be great to to know that your team is that good. But you know the Red Sox are there. Their nucleus is J D Martinez, Rafael Devers, and Xander Bogarts is as good as a one-two-three punches you're gonna get in the entire game. And then you bring in a guy like Hernandez to bat in the sixth hole. You have a, you have Vasquez and you have Verdugo in his second year. You have guys like Duran. We haven't even talked about Jaron Duran. This guy looks like Grady Sizemore 2.0. He is hitting balls over center field fences like this guy looks like he could be a true difference maker for this roster i think the red sox can compete not only for the al east but for the world series and if they're doing so high bloom is going to go out and acquire players to add to this team if you think they're done now yes they may be done if they stink but if they don't stink they can add they have financial flexibility to add they have prospects to trade to add they can make moves and you add Chris Sale to this pitching rotation, all of a sudden, you're talking about a dangerous rotation. And their bullpen, yes, it's not great. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's the best in the league. But when you talk about Adam Adebino, 
Darwinson Hernandez, Matt Barnes, Philip Valdez. You're talking about maybe one addition away, two additions away from having a very, very effective bullpen. This Red Sox team can, if they come out hot, and now they got their guy back in Alex Cora, a, a, a manager who just won a World Series two years ago with a bunch of these guys in terms of the core. Man, I think the sky's the limit for this Red Sox team. I don't know how you can top that for positivity. It's a lot to. I, I'm gonna give you. You know what, Matt? That that's a very positive outlook. So, I will just say it like this: the New York Yankees are better than the Boston Red Sox. No, but you can't say it like that. You you say it like you say it like that. I don't know if you can say it like that. The New York Yankees are better right now than the Boston Red Sox. The Toronto Blue Jays have done more to compete and potentially be better than the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, but they didn't have – like Devers is still better than than Guerrero. Bogarts is still better than Bichette. And J.D. Martinez is still the best hitter out of both of those teams. Right now in baseball, though, there are are, – the Yankees are better than Boston. The Dodgers are better than Boston. The New York Mets are better than Boston. And the Padres are better than Boston. There are those are four teams that they are. But those are three in the National talking League. about competing you for a World it. Series. We're right. talking about competing yeah. in the AL East right. and potentially grabbing a wild card right spot. Competing and competing in the now it depends. Do we have if we go back to this to the old standard of the playoff breakdown? Minnesota is still good. Cleveland is going to fall off the face of the earth. I, we're the White Sox are good. White Sox have made some moves. Looking at the Chicago, the, yeah, the, the White Chicago Sox are good, White but Sox. the AL the AL West is completely cloudy right now. The, I think the, the Astros are huge. Open. Exactly. I don't. I mean, I think Texas the only is team be a lot better. Texas no, they're not going to be a lot better. No, they're not. Texas has made no, some not. quality moves. They Texas made some is about to start ripping the cards. No, they're about to they're about to fall off. They're they're about to, all uh, everything's about to fall apart for the Rangers. They this is going to be a complete rebuild for them because everything that they tried to win on were, were, were pipe dreams and it's all coming to roost now. And and even their homegrown guys aren't producing like they thought they would. So now they're going to go to to Plan B, which is you know rebuild. I don't I don't like the Rangers. I think the only team you can say is clearly better than the Boston Red Sox heading into the season is the Yankees. I don't know how you I don't know how you discount the Chicago White Sox. I mean that 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 their rotation is just light years better than what Boston can can offer right now. Giolito and Keiko. We don't even know who's going to be the opening day starter. For Dallas Keiko is Martin Perez. They're no different. Wow. At this point of their career, he's just a former he is, no, he is just, and you're comparing him to Martin Perez. Former. No. No, well, no, a, four, a one and done. Esteban Loaiza won a Cy Young. You wouldn't compare him to Rick all-time greats. Yeah, but Martin Perez isn't an all-time right. great. No, I'm not saying any of that, but I'm saying Dallas Keuchel, like, you, he was fine last year. He was only okay the year before that. To 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 make him, he's not a Cy Young pitcher any longer. Giolito, yes, he is a Cy Young pitcher. That guy is as good as anything in baseball. But if Chris Sale comes back healthy at some point you know, in July, then you then you have your one for one right there. Listen, I know I'm saying a bunch of what ifs, and I have a lot of optimism in what I'm saying, but 
as until I'm proven wrong, I'm pr- I, I can't say that I, like I can't go against how, how what the I think Red here. The Red Sox were they finished in last place last year. They have the fourth overall draft pick. I don't know if we can. I don't know if I can. They've I gone. They've wait, gone last the first. How can you say that? How can you say that? They've gone last the first multiple times in the last five years. Well, so to are. say that so they sucked last gonna, year means they're going to suck this year gonna, is wildly unfounded. But if we're going to go over the last to first piece, right? 2013 was an anomaly. That team was not built to to be a World Series winner. But they won the World Series. So they did, back, but that's on paper. They won the World Series. Let's the, the let's cut that, out with this whole thing that, that this team, team wasn't cut out to win when they freaking that won. That team was that team wasn't built. Ben Charrington. How did could you say they weren't built set. to win when they won? But they that wasn't the intent of what that team was. No, added, you don't think they wanted to win the World Series? They just stumbled upon a World no, Series. I, I think they I think that that World Series kind of fell in their lap. That we, you added. You can't say that. This isn't a, this wasn't a sixty game Mike, season. This was a one sixty two, and they won the whole right. thing. You added Mike Napoli, Ryan Dempster. You got you got really good years out of Mike Napoli, Ryan Dempster, and and Shane Victorino. You got a you got a few clutch hits out of Shane Victorino. But Johnny, I think you're also uh, proving Johnny my Gomes. point that you're saying you can catch lightning in a bottle. You can, but I don't think that we can go ahead and and, and anoint this team as a top contender in the American League when they're coming off of a they're coming off of two years where they've missed. The you know playoffs. you know what you can also say is that things can go south really quick. Because last year at this time, we were oh, saying certainly. all the same, what if this, what if that, shortened season, and things just went in the crapper right from the start. So, yeah. It, it, Ryan oh, Weber was the number listen. three starter for this team last year. Right. No, and, and, and don't get me wrong. If this team sucks, I'm not going to sit here and act like they're good. I will say – I will tell it how it is. All I ever do on this podcast and in my articles is tell – is, is you know, say how I, I feel and, and – I just feel like until they're proven wrong, this team is as good as any on paper. I mean, if you were to put them in an MLB The Show lineup, they're going to have a, one of the best rosters in the game objectively. Well, I think we have someone on the syndicate who constantly builds their takes off of MLB The Show and Madden, and, and we kind of see how that goes when we kind of go back and forth. <laughs> don't, so. don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> right, well, there's, there's still so, a lot of shoes that can drop between now and the start of the season. One of the big ones out there is Trevor Bauer. And Matt, I know you wanted to talk about him a little bit. Do you do you have a, a sense for where he could land? Because I mean, if he if he were to go to a Blue Jays or if he were to go to the Yankees, that's going to elevate a team even more over the Red Sox than what they may or may not be right now. So, what what were your thoughts that you wanted to talk about about Trevor Bauer? I think Trevor Bauer is, you know, he's a bit of a kingmaker right now in terms of the free agent market. If he goes to the Blue Jays. I think they're better than the Yankees. Like I think he's that big of a difference maker. He's an ace. He's a you know he's a presence out there. That's I know uh, right now he's a bit controversial, but he's like a Kurt Schilling. Like he's polarizing and he's a bulldog. And I think if he goes to the Yankees, they're the favorites to win the World Series. If he goes to the Yank uh, the the Blue Jays, they're the favorites for the AL. And I think if he went to a team like the Red Sox, it would instantly instantly put them atop uh, in terms of the baseball world. But this guy. I don't know exactly what he's going to do. I don't know what his market is. Um, it's it's the it's the most puzzling free agent that I can remember. Uh, you know, in recent years, just you know, a year ago he said if I take uh, you know a multi-year deal, I'll eat my own hat or something or shoe. He made some sort of comment basically saying that uh, you know he'll only bet on himself. And you know, 
after he posted that video on YouTube uh, a couple weeks back, it sounds like he would be okay with a short year big AAV type deal. Uh, you know, the Mets were dubbed the front runner, but then their owner went ahead and spent billions of dollars to bail out a hedge fund. So I don't know if he's necessarily in the position to, uh, you know, make a big move like Trevor Bauer. Shout out, Chris, that article you wrote was awesome. Um, but I just, I don't know where Bauer's going to go. Uh, it seems like the fan favorite selection would be the, the angels. Uh, I, but I think a little bit of that is, due to fans wanting to see Mike Trout with a good freaking team for once. Um, it seems like it's the Mets bidding against nobody, I guess, which I mean, I guess if that, if that's the case, then anyone could jump in last minute. Um, I is don't know. Bauer, uh, is Bauer but if Boris I were to, client? No, he's not. He's not. Okay. Because uh, I don't see Boris letting I, any I, of his clients sign a one-year deal. No, he's not a Boris. He's not with Boris. He's um, I can't remember her name. Rachel, Le- I can't remember her name. I could look it up real quick, but I'm not it's going Rachel to. Rachel Luva. Luva, there you go. Thank you. And uh, you know, she's like a young hotshot agent, and she's gonna try to make. Uh, they're they're gonna sign some sort of deal that is unique in terms of the entire history of the MLB. And if you watched his YouTube video, he's interested in so many things. Um. Uh, and at the time, I actually wrote an article how I thought those things meshed well with the Red Sox. I still think they do. Uh, obviously, now they've made moves, and they would obviously blast through that uh, luxury tax threshold if they were to sign Trevor Bauer. Um, so I think Chris was right early in the podcast when he said it's not going to happen. I don't think he's coming to Boston. Uh, I think he's going to go to the Mets, but at the same time, like this guy's crazy. He could take a, a – he could take the best deal if the best deal was in Japan. I don't know what he's going to do. You know, I read something interesting on the luxury tax threshold that I didn't know. The number doesn't count until, I think, July 1st. So that you can load up. Like, they could bring in a Bauer, and then if things weren't working out, they could just dump salary after that. And as long as they got the salary under the tax threshold by July 1st, they wouldn't have to pay any penalties. Right. Shout out to Chris Cotillo. Like he he put that on uh, uh, for Mass Live. He put that on Twitter the other day, and that was the first time I was kind of um, you know made hit to that that information. So that that is good to know for the Red Sox that they can kind of readjust as the season go. Excuse me, goes on. Uh, maybe they do bring him because they're they're they over the next two years. Their salary deflates tremendously. So they could take on a two-year high AAV type of guy. And they also had their um, you know, their number reset last year. So they're only facing a one-year penalty, which is, you know, nothing compared to two, three, four years of being over the luxury tax. So, you know, I would if I was Heimblum, I would probably look uh into signing Trevor Bauer, but as as everyone listening knows about me over the last ten minutes, I'm very high on this. Red Sox roster, so I want them to win, and I want them to go for it, but I don't well, see it happening. I think Chris is right. I He's think not if they here. thought they were in a win-now mode, they would go after a guy like Bauer, but I, I don't see that as, as Bloom's MO right now. I don't see him managing the team that way. No, he's definitely not necessarily going all in, but when you look at the moves made, he is doing exactly what he said he wanted, which is long-term sustainability. They're good on the big league roster. You know, they have, like I said, a very good lineup. 
but they're also covered in the next five years when you talk about if they can keep Bogarts around and they have Devers and a guy like Verdugo and Downs and Duran and Cassis. So they're covered in the next three to five. And if you look at SoxProspects.com, you know, they do a great job, uh, you know, scouting and, and, and highlighting the Red Sox farm system. They also have a group of 20-year-old prospects that seemingly could fit right into their five to seven-year um, um you know, plans. And then they have the fourth overall pick. So, you know, if Bloom decided, let's go, baby, let's wheels up, let's go on 2021. I think he could do so and not hurt the long-term sustainability and, and their chances of success in terms of long-term. So, you know, what he did over the last 12, 13 days, I don't, I can't completely rule it out, but I think it's, it's a highly unlikely chance. He really steps on the gas. A couple other quick things I just want to talk about before we wrap up. Uh, Major League uh, Players Association rejected the universal DH and the expanded playoff format for this year. So it's obviously obvious that these two sides are not any closer now than they were in the past. They cannot agree on things that even benefit themselves. Why they would vote against the universal DH, I have no idea. All right, good talk. What I keep hearing... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I keep hearing is that if you institute the universal DH, it creates 15 more jobs, and that's 15 positions that owners have to fill that could reach big, big time, you know, AAVs, which is complete crap. Who cares? Yeah, but I the just, Players Association rejected that. Well, they rejected it because it came on the back of an extended playoff. They rejected the extended playoff, right? Right. And, and rejecting the extended playoff meant there's no universal DH. It was like a, it was just kind of like in bed with the devil type of move that they and, felt they didn't want to do. The and extended what's wrong playoffs. with the extended playoffs? I agree. I I think that if you're the players' association, the baseball, the buzz around playoff baseball in 2020 in a weird year, like a COVID-driven weird year, was the it was the best in terms of the buzz it got. The eyes that were watching the Dodgers and the Rays were eyes that aren't usually baseball fans. So and and that only came about because the entire playoffs were a playoffs. ton of fun. And they had more teams in playoffs. You're talking about playoffs? Did I really you, you I kinda close. did, yeah I did. Playoffs. <laughs> playoffs Playoffs Yeah, but the extended play I it's just it's the same thing. I mean we talked about this last year. Uh the, the the players association and the owners just absolutely despise each other and they're willing to go to war if it means sacrificing fans and that is honestly just sad but it's par for the course in terms of baseball executives as they are now they don't care they just they continuously hurt themselves and as a baseball, like, it's ingrained in my DNA, it breaks by heart. That kind of remind me of what's going on in Washington right now between Democrats and Republicans. And I don't want to get super political, but they just cannot come to agreement on common things that can benefit everybody as a whole. No, that's a great point. And this is – we're not getting political here. It, it has nothing to do with either side. But the fact that the two of them are willing to kill everyone just at the expense of their own war – just shows the lack of concern and the lack of compassion for the people that make up and the lack community. of trust in each other. Lack exactly in each other. Just you know, at war about right. everything. And you want this? I'm not no, giving it to you. you want, no, you can't have that. 
Exactly. It's just the universal DH is as a layer. It's the easiest layer as Rob Manfred had. It's 20. Exactly. It's 25 years overdue. And last year you have a, you know, it's a smaller sample size of 60 games, but you have a sample size of fans and the baseball teams themselves loving this. And to just, just to, to shoot it away, and I guess from what I read, it's still – it's not finite. They can make the decision to to switch or, or to bring on the Universal DH. But, you know, the just – I but just – They'll probably tie it into man, prorated salaries and just screw the whole thing up. They'll, right. They'll make, they'll make it about too much of the business side, but these owners, it, they're just forgetting what – they why they bought a team i understand there's billions of dollars at stake i get it this is you know their responsibilities are a lot they're a lot more you know they're a lot more drastic and and crucial and and they have a lot bigger repercussions than things maybe i'm used to but like you said if if there's something so obvious in front of you that would make everyone happy including your employees and they just kind of poo-poo it and throw it away because Nope, you guys don't want to extend the playoffs. We won't give the universal DH. It's just like, man, do 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 the people who have the most financial stake in baseball just hate the game? It seems that way sometimes, doesn't it? It does, and like you have a team like the Indians. The Indians were in the playoffs. 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 They were in the playoffs, and they have a twenty-two million dollar salary on their team. And, I'm and not they lying. did what the Red Sox did last year, trading away their best player in Lindor. Right. But the but now they're trying to trade with Jose Ramirez. At You didn't save enough money at $22 million? You need to save more money? They're already trying to flip Ahmad Rosario? Like, come on. Baseball has so many problems, and I'm sure if we did a podcast just about the problems of baseball, it would be a five-hour dissertation from the three of us, and, and maybe we should have it because – you know, it's people just people need to start getting like I can't believe how little these guys with the most influence in the game want to improve the game. It's 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 well, you dumb. Know, you say that, that they're willing to go to war with each other, and I think that's where we're headed with them. The CBA is up at the end of 21, and we talk about all these prospects that could be ready for 22 for the Red Sox. We may not have a 22 season if this if this keeps trending in the direction that it's going between these two yeah no exactly i mean you can't even agree on something this beneficial all the way around i mean come on guys like i want like selfishly i want to teach my kids about baseball and i don't know if they're gonna give two craps about baseball i mean kids now don't care how are my kids gonna care i don't know it's 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 it sucks because I love baseball, and I think, you know, in terms of the game itself, it's as fun and as challenging, and it's it's as it's as it's everything you want in competition. But yet, people just hate it because the people who make the most money and the people the most influence in the game hate it. So why wouldn't casual fans hate it? And also because it goes long stretches with absolutely nothing happened. Which brings me a segue to another item I wanted to mention was. Theo Epstein hired by baseball as a consultant to look at basically speeding up the game. 
which I think is just a great move because Theo has been one of the first people to come out against all the analytics and the things like that that have been ruining baseball recently. So hopefully they listen to him. And remember, you heard the prediction if he'll be a future uh, commissioner of baseball right here on the Red Sox podcast to be named later. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Theo is he's the god. He's the guy. He's he's the greatest team builder in sports history. And now we're going to he's in a position to help the sport as a whole. And I've never been, you know, I, I, I couldn't think of a better guy to put in that role than Theo Epstein, uh, you know, and to to make public remarks that he feels part of the problem because of the analytics movement like Billy Bean made it Billy Bean put it on the market he you know he put analytics on the map but Theo Epstein is the guy he's the one that won with that approach he's the guy who put together you know he he killed what Theo Theo Epstein killed 200 years of world series droughts it'll never be happen again and he's the greatest of all time for it and I I just hope Theo Theo, you are the guy to save baseball, and I hope you do. Chris, you've been awfully quiet for a while. You still with us? I'm not sure if Matt muted my <laughs> mic or not. <laughs> I did. I got hackers. <laughs> um, I, I think that I think that Theo Epstein is. I, I think you're right. I think he's going to be the future uh, commissioner of baseball. You know, that's like the next phase of like he fixed, you know, fixed the Red Sox. They won a World Series under him, won a World Series with the Cubs, two franchises that just were dying for a championship. And now he's going to go to base. He's going to go into the potentially into, you know, work with Major League Baseball where they could ever transition him into that role. He is just the right guy to go ahead and fix the game and get it to be interesting. He's even said it. It's about we got to get these players marketed. We got to make the game enjoyable and fun again. We got to get people to be able to sit down and watch, make it more interactive. I think he's the perfect choice. I'm excited to see what he might recommend, what they might do. It's obviously not something that's going to be fixed overnight, but this is a huge opportunity for Theo Epstein to come in, win, and and just with his name recognition of what he's done with two story franchises, I think what he says is there's a lot of cachet. It's going to weigh a ton. I'm excited to see what, what he can, what he can bring to the sport and what he can bring to the game. To be honest, I, I just, is he going to ultimately hundred percent fix it? No, there's, there's always going to be problems. I think it's gonna be like that with any sport, but if he could figure out a way to make it, to make it just maybe faster, quicker pace, you know, I, I think that they have the right guy to do so. I think the first thing baseball has to do is get rid of this. This is the way we've always done it. It's the tradition of the sport. You've got to jettison that because that's going to kill you long term. This game was this game was invented in what 1840 something. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's made to be played out in the park where there's nothing else to do when there aren't a hundred other or a thousand other channels on your on your TV that you can instantly jump to for entertainment. That's why they call it a pastime. You pass the time watching baseball, but it's it's just not that way anymore. Yeah. It's it's got to be exciting. It's got to be something that grabs you and keeps you, and it's and it's not that right now. I hate to say that, but it's not. No, it's not. And 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 Theo also mentioned something that I thought was 
super interesting because he mentioned balls in play per minute. And his goal was to bring that down. So balls in plays, uh, the balls in play per minute right now is over three minutes. He wants to get that under two minutes. And I think he's onto something there because, you know, over the late 90s and the early 2000s, everyone fell in love with the home run. But when you watch that documentary uh, about Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, and, and when you look back on Ken Griffey Jr., they were hitting home runs, but they were also not striking out when they didn't hit home runs. So it's not always about the ball going out of the park. It's about putting the ball in play because a diving play at shortstop is as cool as a one-handed catch in football. A a, a slick double play is as cool as running a fast break in basketball. So action is what will make baseball more fun to watch. Not home runs, not strikeouts, not throwing the ball harder. It, it, it's about the game itself. And, you know, the NFL, they did the uh, the Nickelodeon game, and it got wild reviews. And you, and what I thought was great about the Nickelodeon game was not the game itself, but, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, I have a one-year-old daughter. We watch a lot of Nickelodeon. Every Saturday and Sunday, or Saturday or Sunday, one of the days over the weekend, for months before that game, they would have football shows where players would come on and talk about the, the rules and talk about how to score and talk about what makes people good and talk about the players. And it was a buildup for the youth to get to know these guys and like these guys. And then they saw a product that was fun. It's about all that. And baseball could do the same. Like I, the one thing that I will always rebel against is that baseball as a sport is boring. I understand it's a leisure game and it's not a high, you know, a high frequency, high, you know, fast pitch game. But when you, I, I watch all sports. I watch basketball. Basketball right now is miserable. It's run up this way, shoot a three. Run this way, shoot a three. Run that way, shoot a three. Flop, flop, three pointer free throws it's baseball can like, baseball is as fun as, as as any of the sport it's time to start highlighting what makes it great and educating the kids on why a backdoor curveball is super cool why hitting a ball so far that you can walk to first base feels as good as anything in sports it's time to put those things on display so that everyone can feel you know feel the reasons why baseball is great not just the people who played it as a kid and if Theo Epstein wants to bring me aboard as his super confidential assistant, I'm great at making copies. I'm great at making coffee. I can help him any way he wants, and I can also bring these dope ideas to the forefront. I think Just he saying. should. I think he should Just bring saying. the three of us on as a consulting team. Am, am I? I think the Red Sox podcast to be named later should be a consulting team for not only the Red Sox but you also know, I Theo. I actually Epstein. stole that name from Theo because he has a foundation called the Foundation to be named later. So that that was my inspiration for naming this podcast. Oh, breaking the fourth wall. I like it. No, that's – I mean, I've always thought this podcast – little inside, you know, whatever. I've always loved the name of this podcast because it's so baseball – like it's so niche baseball because the player to be named later is so common. So I didn't know that it derived from Theo Epstein's charity. So that makes inspired. it even cooler. I didn't steal it. It was inspired, inspired. by Benchmarked. Benchmarked <laughs> is the professional term. Uh, one one more uh, one more baseball tidbit. Now that we're approaching two hours, 
um, I just wanted to throw out briefly was Hall of Fame uh, announced their uh, class this year um, earlier this week, and guess what? Nobody got voted in. Nobody. Not even from the Veterans Committee. Shocker? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little shocked. I I think that um, while not a strong ballot, I think there are some players who I think it's time to start giving some consideration for what they've done on the baseball on the baseball field. Um, it, it's it is the pro baseball Hall of Fame. It is not about what they've done off the field unless it's something so egregious. And again, I'm not the one to decide what's egregious or not. And I'm not going to go and defend players for what they say or do off of the field. Having said that, all of a sudden we're not going to vote in players because we don't like what they say or tweet, I think takes us down a really, really slippery slope when it comes to picking players for Hall of Fame. Again, I'm, you know, tiptoeing around this, but, you know, Kurt Schilling isn't a Hall of Famer. Well, is he not a Hall of Famer because of his regular season attributes and what he did in the postseason? Or are we mad about his comments with politics? I don't agree with what he said and what he tweeted in regards to the Capitol. I think it was gross. But having, but again, having said all of that, I'm not going to go and judge him about his comments on Twitter on whether or not he's a Hall of Fame baseball player. It, it just it's really getting frustrating that people have to go ahead and use their platform, such as these writers who have a really awesome privilege of getting to decide who goes into these prestigious halls. But yet we're going to not pick players because of our personal opinions and agendas. And I think that that's absolute. You're going to you're gonna have to bleep this out. But I, think it's, I really, really do. It's let's focus on what these guys have done on the field. Unless Kurt Schilling is, you know, convicted of like raping or doing something again, super egregious, he should, you know, then all right, let's have that conversation. But because we're upset about his politics, and I don't agree with everything that he says, I don't agree with actually 90% of what he says. I think he, I think the Kurt Schilling that we know now is not the same guy that we knew as a baseball player. And Sean McAdam in his piece in the Boston Sports Journal, I think illustrated that extremely yes, well that was an excellent piece and, it, and it's free on their site too you don't have to be a subscriber so check it out but you know for a, you know for some of these players that all of a sudden you know they weren't hall of famers you know seven years ago and they're on the ballot and, and now people are voting for them or vice versa but, th- you but know, that's been a hypocrisy it, for years i mean this guy's not first ballot worthy it, and you know guys gotta you know gradually make their way look at jim rice it took him 15 years to get nominated in he wasn't a hall of famer mm-hmm. for 14 years mm-hmm. and suddenly he's a he's a hall of famer i mean you know it, it it's kind of ridiculous the way that they do it and i don't want to make this all about shilling I've, I've i'm on record i've written articles saying how i think he deserves to be in the hall um clements and bonds barely got any more votes this year so it's not looking really good for them uh to get in because all three of them have one more year of eligibility left um, and then and on the other end, you've got guys like Scott Rowland, who made a big jump this year. I mean, Scott, 
But he, no. he's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, Matt, you've said Stop. it before. The Hall of Very Good, but he's not a Hall of Famer. And and, it, and I'm glad nobody got in this year because I hate to see them vote somebody in just for the sake of voting somebody in so you can have a ceremony. Bill, I'm so happy you said that because I think the fact that they got so much blowback on voting no one in, it's going to cause them to reevaluate everything they do with the Hall of Fame voting. We're getting into think, you, you we're, think no, it we're, will, Matt? Yeah, you I, I do. I really do. I do. This because has listen been an to this. issue for the last this has been an issue for the last couple of years. And and you know, we have we got these old timers who just refuse. They absolutely just refuse to change their way and how they look and how they vote. And then we have these I'll say it, these millennials now who literally wanna cancel everything the second that you fart the wrong way. Like, right, but the, no, but there's a middle group. The millennials are us. We're the guys who are getting screwed because our the guys we watched every day are getting treated like they weren't good at baseball. Listen, however you feel about there was one guy, there was a millennial, one dude who didn't vote for Derek Jeter for a unanimous choice. That dude should have his he should have his his ability to vote revoked, and he should be you shouldn't like. Well, Why no, I don't agree people... with that. See, this is where I push back on that because Derek Jeter, although he should have been unanimous, uh, if the ruling that the old guys use, Babe Ruth wasn't unanimous, so Junior Griffey isn't going to be unanimous. I almost feel like if Junior Griffey's not going to be unanimous, then Jeter shouldn't be unanimous. So, like, it, I it's think a... that you can make a case not to get not to get sidetracked, but you can make a case that Ken Griffey Jr. is not a uh, uh, an unanimous choice because of the fact that he had. So many injury, you know, injury plague seasons. Yeah, but his, his numbers, his, you, no, but his numbers are his numbers are phenomenal, and his influence is unmatched. Like this is the thing, and I think we're all on the same page here, even though we're kind of bringing up different talking points. Uh, but I think we're all on the same page that when you look, like you, if you were part of baseball in the early two thousands, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds are Hall of Famers. No question. First ballot. They were studs in their era. The best of their time. So w- w- when we get into this game, I agree. Like it's it just becomes this awful thing. Like uh, Bill, you brought this up earlier. It's this pastime. It's this thing where it's like the old the old generation won't let go of how it was, and the new generation won't push it push it through. But yeah, I, it's just man, I don't. I, I, I don't know. You know, I think I, I hope that this is a wake up call for the voters. But, Chris, after you mentioned it, maybe you're right. Maybe this won't be. I'm still struggling with Chris saying that, you know, arguing against people who think things should be canceled just because you fought the wrong way. And then he wants to take the guy's vote away because he didn't vote for Jeter. That's unanimous inductee. That that's um, those two things. Don't well, j- to be fair, don't, Chris, don't jive with me. that guy farted the wrong way. Yeah, but I, I can. Well. I think Jeter was a great player, but tremendously overrated in his career because he played for New York. And and I got to be honest, and maybe this is a hot take, and maybe this will get some blowback, but I felt like inducting Jeter and Larry Walker into the Hall of Fame is as weak as the players they could have inducted this year. You know, I heard Bob Costas, the the night of the the announcement that there was nobody being inducted, he, he brought up a very interesting speculation that, because Jeter is so revered and, and he did not get his induction ceremony last year, 
because of COVID and that they're going to have it this year. He thought that there may have been some voters who did not want to vote for polarizing people like Schilling and Clemens and Bonds to get in this year to take the spotlight away from Jeter. That's gross, but I, I think that's fair. I, that I, definitely sounds like a I fair I have no idea comparison. if that's true or not, but I thought that was a incredibly interesting take. I think you're right. I think that's very interesting. It makes sense, you know, in terms of the grossness that goes into the the politics uh, of something like the induction ceremony and in the Hall of Fame in general. But what I just I can't get over is the disrespect. Like if you were around in the early 2000s, you like I only I would run to my television set if Barry Bonds was up. You know what I'm saying? Like there were times where like. This guy would cancel out pop culture, and you had to watch him and to, to just disrespect him because of steroids or whatever. It's just like, like, do we, do we want baseball to die? Do we want everything about baseball to just die now? And I don't, and I know you guys don't want that. And it's just, I don't know. Like when you see some, like. We we went through the ballot, you know, in a previous episode, and that we we didn't differ in terms of who we you know elevated into the Hall of Fame and who we didn't. Like we didn't. I think only we we only put two, right? We only put Clemens and Bonds when we did this this when we talked about. I would have right? put Schilling in. I don't know. If, I don't know if we agreed on I, Schilling, I but Schilling I would have put too. him in. I put him in because I I I'm sorry. Like I think. I think producing when it matters most, even though it's not, you don't record it in terms of the, the like like a, like the analytics community believes that clutch is not a thing. I believe oh, clutch is a thing, and I think those guys need to be in the Hall of Fame. So I I, I agree, Schilling is in. Where where I feel like there's a huge bottleneck and an explosion on the horizon is the 2022 induction Hall of Fame when. David Ortiz mm-hmm. is on the ballot because David Ortiz, he's not as polarizing as a shilling or a bonds. He's as great as a position that he's the greatest DH in the history of baseball. And next year voters will be, they will be tasked with deciding. I feel like he's like a big time difference maker if ortiz goes in the hall of fame in 2022 it's almost like how can you not now like introduce the rest because he had his allegations he had you know he came under the you know, he was under the uh what do you call it the the investigative light of the he steroid had a positive test he allegedly had a positive test so like all of these factors though, though in, they never said but what i the think if he's was. not no, this was a different time. This wasn't a as a thorough time as we're in now where everyone gets every bit of information. So yeah, it, like you said, it was a little bit more vague and it was a, it was you could still put alleged on it and it, you know whatever, but you know, next year when David Ortiz if he gets in every other fan base of, you know, the Giants fan base, the Yankees fan base, or the Toronto fan base for for Clemens, whatever it is, they're all like it's going to come to a head next year, and next I, I am very interested to see where voters go next year because also Dave Ortiz is a fan. He's a favorite of these the, the old generation. Like he's he's meshed well with 
all of the writers in Boston, and and he was on the national tele. Like he's in that national uh, type of zeitgeist. So I think David Ortiz, even though his stats and his career isn't as polarizing or as you know as prolific as Bonds and Clemens, I think his his character and 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 his his flair and his vibe that he carries is going to be a big, 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 big measure for next Man, year. You get bonus points for using the word zeitgeist. I like to throw out some words every now and again. You know, I, re- I read on Twitter. I know some words. I know some really good words. Some really big words. <laughs> I know some words. Uh, one Speaking of Hall of Famers, I just want to – one final thing. We lost Hank Aaron this past week. Um, in the last year or so, we have just lost so many players that I grew up watching – uh, guys like Hank Aaron, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, Joe Morgan, Lou Brock. I mean, we are just losing some of the giants of the game from, you know, from my era growing up. It would be the equivalent of, for you guys, for Griffey and, and Bonds and Clemens, you know. So it's just, it's really sad to see these, these guys start to go because when you talk about Hall of Famers, you know, those guys are all lock Hall of Famers, you know, no doubt about it. And just personal anecdote i saw hank aaron the first red sox game i ever went to um i don't know if you guys knew it but at the last two years of his career he was the dh for the milwaukee brewers when they were still in the american league so the first game i ever went to at fenway was against the brewers and i saw hank aaron play in that game and i actually saw him take one out of fenway it was in batting practice but i'm still counting it <laughs> you know what you know I, this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about but i just have to say what you just mentioned is something that Major League Baseball needs to encapsulate and and push. Like the memories you have of your first game at a ballpark. I remember my first game. I remember my first game. I went to a, it was a Red Sox Rangers game. I remember watching Ivan Rodriguez throw the ball from from home plate to second base in between innings and realizing, holy cow, this guy has a cannon. And Jose Offerman. <laughs> hit a leader single and Mo Vaughn hit a walk off. I don't know if it was a walk off, but it was a game win and grand slam. And this was, I was, I was a little kid. And I just feel like we all remember these things when we were kids, our first experiences at ball games. And I don't know. I just feel like maybe if major league baseball learned to package this and sell this, maybe baseball would be in a better place. Side note, we can go back. We can get back to the original conversation i just wanted to say no, you're absolutely right and now that you have a daughter you'll remember the first time you bring her to her first game because i remember it for both of my kids exactly and that's that's how baseball gets passed on from generation to generation exactly I, I, do you, are you guys familiar with marvel yes okay so did you guys ever watch the luke cage series no. on netflix I, I thought you were going into one division so already <laughs> no, we can get into that because I would love to talk about that real quick, actually. So let me just talk about Maybe Luke we'll Cage real quick. A There's a scene, a bonus, like episode, a bonus, yeah. just like talk about. All right, so okay. we'll do that. But in Luke Cage on Netflix, there's a scene where Luke Cage goes into a barber shop, and the barber tells him that baseball is a sport passed on by your father. And it's Absolutely. in like. It was just like a throw. It was a throwaway line in the show. It didn't. It 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 wasn't meant to have any type of weight on it. But when I heard it as a baseball fan, I thought to myself, "You're damn right. 
my dad taught me baseball. My grandfather taught my it, – it's, it's something you tell your boys, like you just said. Like Taking your kids to Fenway is the same as taking your kids to Disney. It's the experience. You get them the helmet with the ice cream. You and get them the foam finger. You get them the T-shirt. It's it, unfortunately in 2021 it is as expensive, but the whole thing it's like, man, like, oof, like, like I said, this could be a whole conversation for another podcast and maybe Wandavision. Do you want to talk Wandavision real quick, Bill? How great is Wandavision? Totally not what I expected, but I am so hooked. It's so good. It's so good. It's so uh, when the first episode, the first two episodes came out, I was like. People aren't realizing this is the first chapter of the next phase of Marvel. Step in. And now we're going to episode four, which is honestly the first episode of the actual series. Ooh, I can't wait for tomorrow. And, and it's also based off of all the sitcoms I grew up watching. Brady Bunch, Dick Van Dyke Show, right. Bewitched. You know, it has all those little elements, too. Right, they're going into Full House next week, and then they're going to go into Modern Family and all these things. And yeah, yeah uh, 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 we could do we could do <laughs> we could do two hours on the maybe on when the, maybe when the uh, series is over, we'll we'll do our own episode on that. We could do yes, definitely, definitely. All right, so we've officially gone off the rails. So, guys, do you have any uh, final thoughts that you want to bring up before we wrap this up? Yeah, I got one quick thing. Well, two. One, I have no idea what a WandaVision is. <laughs> so if we're gonna, do, so if we're gonna do a WandaVision show, then I will have to. I'm gonna have to watch that. There's only three. Have, you can catch up. You can catch up. Right. There's only three. I don't know what. I don't know what we you may guys have to bring in about. James for that one because I know he's watching it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's been pumping that, and I, I would say he'd be the. Uh, he'd have to. He would educate me on that. The only thing he'll educate me on. But having said that, <laughs> having said that, tonight MLB uh, Pipeline announced the top 100 prospects for 2021, and the Boston Red Sox have three top 100 prospects. You guys want to take a guess in who those players are? Were any of them on the Major League roster last year? Downs, Cassis, and Duran. Duran is not part of the top 100. So they should have four. So Dahlback. Dahlback. That, that's why oh, I he asked if any of them won the roster weight. last year, because I have yeah, seen I, his, him still listed question, as a prospect. Yes. Yeah. yes. He was he was listed in – well, they have Randy Arena still listed as a prospect, and we saw what he did in the postseason with mm-hmm. the Rays last year. Tanner Houck? Um, I don't – was not on the mm-hmm. list in the top 100 for Major League Baseball. But I think that shows how good their prospect, like their farm, has has developed over the last year. That we just named two guys that aren't even on it that could easily be on it. Three. Wanda Franco takes the Wanda top Vision? spot for the Rays. Wanda Vision. Wanda Vision. Wanda, 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 Vision? <laughs> Wanda Franco. Um, he takes over the top spot. Um, but looking at Boston prospects, I'm trying to get down there. So Tristan Cathis, uh, he's 44th on the list. Followed by Jeter Downs, who's 49th on the list, and Bobby Dahlbeck is 93rd on the list. Interesting. I'm just trying to make sh- I'm just trying to make sure I didn't miss any other Red Sox players, but I believe it is only just those three that's on there. Yeah, because the top. 
Yeah, the, the top 10 is uh, Wanda Franco, Adley Rutschman, uh, Spencer Torkelson, Jared Klenenek, Julio Y. Rodriguez of the Mariners, Mackenzie Gore of the Padres, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., C.J. Adams, and, again, and the Padres still. They have a ton of top oh, yeah. prospects. Even they, after... they only gave away one top three prospect. Well, only they, they gave away one top ten prospect in all the trades they made. I think I'm seeing like four or five prospects from the Padres. So amazing. The roster they have right now, players that they have, and they have a minor league system to go and do that. Imagine if we can just wait and be patient here in Boston. And for that – Well, they also – they also were in the basement for so many years so they could build up those prospects. So you you, you got to take right. the good with the bad. And when you look through those, the, the prospects you just named, Torkelson, Rauschman, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., those are all guys taken within the last two years of the draft. The Red Sox also have the number four pick in the next year's draft. So they're going to theoretically add a potentially top 15, 20, 25 prospect to their ranks in this draft alone. So Heimblum's doing his thing, and I love it. Any other final thoughts, Matt? No, we covered it all. Like I was, like I said at the top of the podcast, I was super excited to talk to you guys. It's been a while. Uh, maybe we make it more often going forward because, you know, I just love talking to you guys. It's a little bit of th- – it's therapy for you boys, so yeah, I we love it. We didn't even talk about it all. We still left plenty of stuff on the uh, on the show notes. But uh, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point in the very near future. Do you guys uh, – I'm sorry. Do you guys want to just talk about some, some things real quick, like Bianca Smith? Like, do you think these – you know, these – these talking points will gain some steam. We can talk about later. Or do you want to talk about them? I now? was just going to throw out uh, the Bianca Smith thing. She's the first African American woman to be uh, hired as a coach in professional baseball. You know, we had given um, I forget the name of the of the woman who uh, was the GM for the Marlins was just named, but we gave her kudos for that. So I wanted to do the same thing for Bianca Smith. And I think we can leave it at that. Kudos. She has an incredible resume, and the Red Sox found a good one. And like I said before, hopefully we get to the day where that's not a story. It's just Bianca Smith was hired as a, as a coach, period. And I think we're we're getting there because we talked about, um, you know, the new GM of the, the Marlins on a, pre- a previous episode, and we're talking about Bianca Smith now. Their resumes are, I mean, they're ironclad. They're phenomenal. What she's done in terms of the sport of baseball, uh, you know, through colleges and now in professionals, uh, you know, she's worked with the Giants and the Reds. She's, you know, a special baseball mind. And I think this is just, you know, a, a stepping stone to exactly what you, br- you brought up, Bill. Just when, you know, I, X person is hired, whether it's a woman or not, like, we don't even bring it up as news because it just makes sense that they were the best person for the job. So Matt, someday your daughter could be the manager of the Red Sox. Just think of it that way. And hey, you know what? You know, I've been throwing a lot of fastballs at her. <laughs> she hasn't caught any of them because she's won, but she's going to get ready. All right, guys. I'm going to ask again, any final thoughts? I don't think so. Red Sox should have traded for you, Darvish, but that's it. That's all I'm going to say. All right, guys. Everyone, please check out our website, www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. 
We've got a ton of articles from there. Chris and Matt have been very busy cranking out articles for us lately. Some really good articles, so please check that out. You can also find links to all of our podcasts and to our merch page where we have hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, mugs, anything you'd want. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up, so I think uh, maybe a Boston Sports Syndicate T-shirt might make a nice present to that special loved one in your life. So please check it out. Also check out our Facebook page at Boston Sports Syndicate. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Boston Sport Sports Sin. That's S Y N. All our podcasts now also have their own Twitter pages. Uh, check out the Red Sox podcast at Red Sox Pod underscore B S S. Uh, Matt, Chris, tell everybody where they can find you on uh, the Twitter sphere. So you can find me at Maddie D underscore Rose. And you can find my articles, like Bill said, at the Boston Sports Syndicate.com. Check us out. We're doing some fun stuff. And uh, we're, we're not stopping. So we're just about to get started. And, and you can expect a lot from us. So check it out. Yep. Go over to uh, on Twitter at Chris Henrik. And uh, just continue to follow the Red Sox podcast to be named later. Uh, 555 followers. The goal right now that I've personally set is I would love for that to uh, to uh, exceed 1,000 followers before opening day. And the only way we can do that is by you clicking that little follow button on the upper side there. Hulk smash that follow button, boys. And while you're at it, jump on over to at uh, btravers underscore syn. I'm at, uh, I think, 94 followers, and I would just love to get up to triple digits. So I don't tweet that much, so I won't clog up your timeline. But every time, but that's six people. <laughs> six people jump on. Let's go. When Let's I go when now. I do tweet, it's usually gold, Jerry. Gold. All right, Matt, Chris, <laughs> thank you Bye, for yeah. joining me. Everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you later. And remember, wear your mask. Later. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by I.M.C.D.M. and J. Kelly.